this psalm by preaching through the book of 1 Timothy uh, when we're not preaching on something else. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, once again for the freedoms we get to enjoy in this country of being able to meet together. And Lord, we thank you for the courage of seeing those that don't have such freedoms, and yet they still find ways to do it anyways at the risk of their life. And Lord, we pray, Lord, if there's any today, Lord, or... Um, or when it's Sunday in their part of the world, Lord, and you give a hedge of protection, safety around them. And Lord, maybe even maybe some place, Lord, where maybe there's some armed guards that are maybe um, getting ready to arrest people, that maybe someone would be in the service and hear the gospel and get saved and then we become one of their greatest advocates. And Lord, we just ask you to bless your word. Jesus' name, amen. And so, First um, Timothy 4, um, here he talks about in verse 12, it says, Let no man despise thy youth. Now, some wonder, like, hey, what is youth? Okay, you know, we often think of just as kids or as teenagers, um, but in, in the Bible times, in the Greek culture, it would basically see someone in their youth. Uh, until they turn 40. So like, um, usually you would look at it between 30 and 39 would be the peak of their youth. Now when this was written to um, Timothy, many speculate it was written to him sometime in his early 30s. Um, it's kind of like trying to go through the um, chronology and Acts. Um, and then when Paul, when Timothy first met Paul, he was perhaps between the ages of 16 to 24, and it's about 14 years later when Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and Timothy is now a preacher um, of the church in Ephesus. And so he's not talking about to a teenager, so to speak, in this letter, but he is talking about someone in their youth, and as teenagers, you know, you are still in your youth. You're just still growing and still maturing in your youth. But so teenagers don't really want you to really pay attention today. And older people don't tune out. Okay? You guys got help to do too. Uh, this, let no man despise thy youth. That means uh, um, not to have let someone hold you in their mind in your mind, in their mind, to, to a low esteem, just because you're younger in age. To not give cause for someone to look down on you just because of your age of being young. Now this isn't look uh, um, this isn't speaking of rebuking older people where say someone older they mock you or say, oh man, you're just doing what foolish young people do. It's not talking about um, then, um, correcting them and rebuking them and getting upset and saying, don't despise me. It's not what the Bible is teaching. That would be more gifted, grown up, so to speak, more of an attitude, yeah, 
they're being immature, they're being youthful. Okay? So it's not talking about correcting your elders in the aspect of don't call me young or say I'm too young or I'm youthful, but rather it's a challenge to Timothy to live as an example that does not get held to a low esteem. To live his life in a way that when older people see them, they may see um, the physical age, but have the mindset of, well, his wisdom is above what his age would be. That, that, that you don't take your own youth into, um, to, to despise your own youth, which gives reason for others to despise you. I'm going to skip down some verses. Uh, um, go, go ahead and go to verse 15. Uh, and it says, meditate upon these things. What things? The things that's just above it, and we're going to preach and teach on those. But um, just when you folks see this, is meditate upon these things. That the things that Paul just wrote to Timothy, he says, you know what? Think upon True upon don't, don't, don't let it just be something that goes in one ear and out the other. But meditate upon these things. That this is important when I'm telling you, Timothy, is a young man of God, is a young creature, is someone that other people maybe sees is younger than them, but don't let anyone despise your youth, but be thou an example and meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. They say, give yourself wholly to this. This is uh, dive in head first. This is get involved in this. Um, let this be who you are. Don't just go in haphazardly, but jump in all the way that you're in all the way. And you're not one foot in and one foot out, but you're to be meditating upon it and giving yourself wholly to it all, that thy profiting may appear to you all. That way it becomes evident to everybody else in the church that sees you as a young adult, a young man or a young woman, and sees you as, uh, as being growing in your youth, but growing in wisdom and making wise choices. Now let's see, what does he say to give yourself wholly to? Um, it says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. To be an example of the believers. Not to just think of, oh, you know what, Christianity, that's for older people. No. You know, in Ecclesiastes, the Bible talks about consider the creator, thy creator, in thy youth. You know, before the evil days, before the hard days, and the hardships come when you're going to have more responsibility. Consider the Lord in your youth, your creator. And he says, be an example. Even in your youth, as a teenager, as a young adult, to be an example to the believers. That other people are going to see your life. Uh, Tell Timothy, don't be one of those that are just like, oh, I just don't care what my testimony is. I don't care what people think about me. Oh, we should care. Now, there's an element that we should not care, okay? Say, when you're doing that which is right, and people think evil of you, okay, you can rejoice in that, okay? okay you don't have to feel ashamed in a sense of caring and absence. But we should care, is our testimony being harmed? Is our good being evil spoken of because of it not really being good, but it is evil? Bible says there'll be times where our goodness evil is spoken of, and it says, you know, when you suffer for the name of Christ, so be it. Happy are you. Rejoice. But don't suffer for evil doing. Don't let your testimony be hurt because of your behavior. It says, be thou an example of the believers in word. In word that would be in our speech that young men and young women they should be careful with how they talk what they say 
to eschew profanity. The Bible talks about cast off evil communications, corrupt communications. But it be far from thee. Jesus, dealing with the Pharisees in Matthew 12, he said, O generation of vipers, how can ye be an evil speak good things? Well, he says, you know, you're being evil. So yeah, how are you going to speak good things? Your heart's far from the Lord. How are you going to speak good things? He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the man mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. How important it is to our words that the Bible speaks of even in the justice seat of Christ that our words will mean something. And we'll either stay in the shame. The Bible talks about okay, our salvation is completely by God's grace through faith. That is not of works. The Bible even says, to him that worketh not, but believeth unto, unto Christ. Romans 4 5 says that his faith is counted for righteousness. However, the Bible does speak about in 1 Corinthians about how there are rewards or lack of rewards when believers do go to heaven based upon our words. Not to get to heaven, but in heaven there will be rewards or the lack thereof based on our words, based on our behavior. And the Bible says even our words will be judged. Thankfully for our salvation, that was paid on the cross, paid on Calvary, that he washes us of our clean of our sins. So we're not really given an account for our sin, so to speak, as far as eternity is concerned. But there is a judgment that will be based upon our words or reward. The Bible talks about some that their works will be tried by fire and some will burn up in the flames. And others will come out more pure. That all have been of good motives and in their good works. So watch your mouth as Christians. I was just listening to someone in it talking about how it's so common today for Christians to use profanity. Maybe not in church, but in the home. Now when they're at work, Bible says, you know, that should not be named once among us. It's believers, it's Christians. Does it happen? Sure, yes. You know, I remember one time I was testing a friend, testing someone in the church that um, was grown as a relatively new Christian, and he asked a simple thing about um, um, what's the Seahawks score? And told him, oh yeah, the Seahawks are losing. And he uttered some profanity by text message. He thought he was texting another friend from work that was off that day. And, and I didn't say anything. You know, I'm not going to be the one that was going to be, hey, what are you doing for? I just let him wait. I didn't even say anything. And then all of a sudden, he dawned on him. can't believe I sent that to my pastor. And he, of course, all apologetic and everything. So he said, Pastor, I understand. You know, people are in different walks in their spiritual growth. You know, we need to take our own spiritual growth seriously. We're like, hey, Lord. I grew up maybe all around talking like this, but Lord, please help take that away. Give me that desire to speak right. And that showed some of that desire in him that he felt ashamed and wanted to um, make things right. Tell him to be an example in word. Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. To use your words to edify people. How can you build them up? How can you build them unto, unto the word of God to, to grow? Tell them in conversation. Be an example in conversation. 
Now today we think of conversation as our speech. Well, here we already saw a word that's already talking about our speech. Um, conversation um, is an older um, word in, from the 1600s. That means life conduct. That, that your lifestyle. That let your lifestyle, your conduct, how you live your life be an example. First Peter 1.15, um, Peter writes, but as he which have called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So, you know, be holy. Let, well, let your life be sanctified. Let it be set apart. Let it be completely different from the way the world would be. He writes again in chapter 2, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Selling them both Jews and Gentiles among, among the pagan people, let your life be honest. Let your lifestyle be honest. Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That when God judges them, they're not really going to be able to say evil about you. But rather, no, they did right. They live holy. They live for the Lord. I can't, I can't blame them for my lack of serving God. In chapter 3, Peter says in verse 16, Having a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, again, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That it would be a shame that you have, uh, you live a good life. For it is better the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So if you're going to suffer persecution, may it be because you're doing well. Because you're living holy, not because you are living worldly, not because you are living in your sin, but rather you are glorifying God. He tells them also in Timothy to be thou an example in charity. Charity is a word uh, that some translate as love, but is deeper than just a surface love. It's a love in action, so to speak, a, a, a love that has speed, um, something that is active. Jesus said, um, said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is what was new about the commandment. The commandment wasn't new, that you love one another. That part's not new. What's new is Jesus is saying, you love one another as I have loved you. He's taking the love to another love. That as I have shown love to you, you do likewise. He says, greater love have no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That when a rubber meets the road, are you willing to give your life for your friends? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? in your life to help a brother or sister out. Someone else out in the church. Someone in the church calls you and says, hey, you know what? My plumbing is this blow has exploded and it's flooding my house two in the morning. Be like, hey, you know what? I'll be right there. Yeah. Now you might not want to call me because I'll just make it worse. Uh, but if you already call me, I'll try to wake someone else up. They'll know what they're doing and stuff. But have truth. Tell Timothy, you know, as a young man of God, you know, when you preach from the pulpit, it's not about just tearing your face up. You know, a lot of times that time preaching pieces to flesh. Like, oh yeah, we come it on. And you know what? Hard preaching is in the Bible. There's times where we need hard preaching. We don't need to just have all this lovey-dovey stuff. It's, it's a balance. It's where the Bible talks about how mercy and truth have kissed each other. That we're to preach the word. We're supposed to endure sound doctrine. We're not to be teaching 
talking stuff. We're supposed to teach the Bible, but we're not to teach the Bible to try to be mean. Sometimes preaching will be yelling. You know, the Bible says um, um, to one of the preachers, says, cry aloud like a trumpet and call my people out on their sins. It's not talking about what it says. Cry aloud. It's not saying, oh, they're sweet sounds of their kids. Not that that's sweet at all. But it's not about the sweet, soft sounds of the piano. There's some more vocalization that preacher of calling people to repentance. But even that calling people to repentance isn't to be out of hate or to be mean, but to see people to get right with the Lord. And it's not to get right with the preacher, to get right to some stand, man-made stand, but to get right to be holy before the Lord God. To draw a people to God as part of the role of a preacher. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts, but it's often the Holy Spirit uses to deliver the preaching of the Word of God. Not a lectionary, not a commentary. And I'm not saying commentaries are bad to use. I'll use commentaries. No, I'll read, setting a word, and go, you know, whatever some maybe older, wiser men have said about this verse. But a commentary itself is not the Word of God. A lectionary, which some churches do that, they'll just take a lectionary and like they'll have a two or three year rotation where they'll preach, this is what they preach this time this year, and they're just preaching what they're given by the denomination. Here we're at Independent Baptist Church, and so no one's telling me what to preach except for God. You know what God says? Preach the Word. Not preach Times Magazine. Not to preach Fox News, not to preach whatever else it may be, but to preach the Word. Now, can examples be used from the other things? Sure. You know, we see Paul um, quotes different philosophers to kind of illustrate a truth to them. But what he focuses on telling Timothy is preach the Word. But he gives him this reminder to be an example in sharing. When you're preaching those tough messages, those hard messages, we see John the Baptist preach about not the king not committing adultery. They had his brother's wife, and they preach on that. He got beheaded for it. But he wasn't doing that because he hated the king, but was calling people to repentance. But let people know that they're doing it in love. When I'm in someone's home, the marriage is struggling. You know, maybe alcohol is a struggle in one of the partners and it's destroying their home. And there's going to be some confrontation. But it's not because I despise or hate the person or hate the couple, it's to be because I love them. And that's what we need to remember it's you. And the things we do, to do it in love. Again, think of charity. It's something that's not just a fluffy love, but it's a love with feet. It's a love with action. That you're going and people are seeing the love. That they're seeing it spread and it grows and grows. And, and they see it in your life, in your testimony. He said, be thou an example in charity. Don't let people despise like you. Let them see the love in action in your life. Just be thou an example in spirit. Let people see that you are walking in the spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the spirit, you're not going to walk in the lust of the flesh. If you're walking in the lust of the flesh, you're not going to be walking in the spirit. That they exclude one another. He, said, he says in 5 verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. You say the Holy Spirit indwells you, let people see the fruit of the spirit in your life. Let it be 
some things that they see in faith. Be thou an example in faith. This would entail a belief, a faith, a, a vision, a faithfulness. Bible says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You know, sometimes older people maybe will look at young preachers and be like, man, he is just so ambitious in his goals. You know, young men, don't let that be true. You could give air as far as like, hey, you know what? Maybe there's some wisdom here. But if you are walking in the Spirit, you're in prayer, you're in the Word, you're following God, and you feel like God's giving you a vision for Him, be an example in that faith. Don't let people's doubts scuffle out your faith, but be an example. Be bold and saying, like, hey, you know, as a church family, you know what? We should pray for this. You know, so, hey, you know, we pray for the property back there. You know, someone else bought it, but who knows? You know, maybe we could pray that maybe we could purchase the property. It's right connection to the wall. We want to talk about ambitious. We don't have the money for that. Well, we don't. But we still pray. Have faith. Hey, maybe the Lord would open the door for that. Hey, it could be anything. That you know, a young man, young woman, you know, you have faith. Be in a sample. Have vision. Don't let people scuttle that out, but believe and have faith. Again, people will often take your faith as youthful imaginations. But if you're walking with the Lord, let people see your faith by seeing the answered prayer in your life. Let them be able to remember five years from now. You remember when that young man or young woman was praying for this and that, and we thought it was unbelievable, like, yeah, right? And then God answers that prayer. Let them see that. Let that be an example that they see in your love. It says for them to be an example in purity. Purity. Moral purity. Sexual purity. You know what? Today there's a lot of mocking from even Christians where they mock purity culture. You know what? The Bible commands us to live a life of purity. It's not something that should be mocked. Sure, can something be elevated as an idol above God? Sure, but when you're following what God has said to do, you know what? You're not making something else an idol. You're following the Lord. Sexual purity should be something we seek after before we're married. And after we're married, that we keep that purity where it's only between husband and wife. First Corinthians chapter 6, go ahead and turn there. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, flee fornication. Flee fornication. To run. To get away from it. There's some temptation that comes your way. Flee. Flee from fornication. Every sin that a man do of is without the body. But he that committed fornication sinned against his own body. But know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you know your body is the Lord's. You've been saved, you've been sanctified. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when you're fornicating, you're bringing the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're defiling the temple of God. He tells Timothy, he's a youthful pastor. Flee fornication. Run. Don't entertain it. Don't tease it. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. 
But just before that, it says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Don't entertain that. Don't entertain the flesh. Keep yourselves pure. The Bible talks about um, the young men, they treat the younger woman as sisters in all purity. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22 says also, Flee also youthful lust, but full of righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So this is the second epistle to Timothy, and he's saying again, flee also youthful lust. So it's not just the physical act of fornication, but it's the thought line. Flee these youthful lusts. And sometimes these youthful lusts aren't necessarily always about bad thoughts, but it's the youthful affection, the youthful affection that drives you the wrong direction. They are driven, it can be covetousness, it can be, you know, you're just coveting after something or someone, and it gets you off path, away from where you should be. Tell Timothy, flee also youthful lusts. And youthful lust isn't something just youthful people do. Older people have youthful lust as well, where it's a youthful affection. It's something new. It's something that's not proper or appropriate for them to flee that, to flee away from pornography. You know, there's so many secular studies that talk about how much damage pornography is done in young boys and in young girls. Things that people used to have to hide in map-type magazines, now it's just there with a clip. And they try and they can try to hide it, erase their history, but the Lord sees it. And if something's actually is criminal behavior, well, that's all trapped. Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. God will hold us to an account. In the Bible, Paul does talk about elsewhere um, that even of our good works, some people see it all, all around us. People see your good works beforehand, and some they see afterwards. They see in heaven that what good works you may have done. That, uh, that, that maybe it's the secret prayer life in a closet. And then that's revealed later on. No one else sees it except God. But God says He will reward thee openly when we pray unto Him in secret. And the Bible says, But there's something so much good that it can't be hidden. That's what Paul's exhorting Timothy. You know, let your testimony be such an example that people see it overwhelmingly. Paul is exhorting Timothy that if he could live as an example of a faithful Christian, he would offset any perceived disadvantage due to his youthfulness. That disadvantage, oh, you're young. I remember, you know, people say, no, are you the youth pastor over? So you don't know, and you go, oh, you need assistant pastor. Oh, I guess I don't usually say it, but I used to say I'm the senior pastor. I just don't look like a senior yet. <laughs> oh, it's not about titles. You know, you know, you didn't even say to Timothy, hey, you're Pastor Timothy, or you're Elder Timothy, or you're Bishop Timothy. You now he talks about the office of a pastor, of a bishop, of an overseer, but it's not a title, so to speak. It is a function of his office to be. And it's a reminder that Jesus said, He that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Greatest. People out in public life are people that are servants. The greatest pastors are pastors that aren't just preaching for the accolades. It's pastors that are serving. Pastors that are seeking to serve the Lord and serve the congregation. First Timothy says, Till I come, give attendance to. You know, we talk about attendance, meaning, okay, like, hey, you show up to class. You show up to work, have an attendance. 
Paul is telling Timothy here, show up to these things. Give attention to these things. Tell I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, to reading. You know, that would be reading the Word of God. So, Pastor, focus on reading the Word of God. In Acts 6, the apostles, when they saw there was this need where some widows were being neglected in the daily um, administration, and they, the complaint was brought to the apostles, and they said, all right, you know what? This is a need, but this is not of the best use of my time. But it is a need in the church that needs to be accomplished. And so he says, choose you out um, seven men uh, um, filled with the Holy Ghost that are faithful um, servants of God to serve as deacons that can take care of these needs. For we must not leave the word of God and prayer to serve tables. And there's all a need. But that a pastor should focus on exercising his spiritual gifts where God has equipped them. And that other people could be involved in serving in other roles. If anybody tells Timothy, give attendance to read. You know, to read the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 4 13, he says, The cloak that I left at Troas, it says, his coat, um, um, with purpose, he says, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, the books, it's probably talking about the Old Testament scrolls there, but he goes, well, especially the parchments, as either, maybe it's for him to write more, for Paul write more, or it's parchments, which would be some of the New Testament would be written on, and so it could be other, other um, of the New Testament writers. He could be speaking of that. But what we do know he's speaking of, we know, bring the Word of God. Bring copies of the manuscripts with you to exhortation. He's speaking to him primarily as the preacher in this passage, and he tells uh, to be given to exhortation, to challenge those who hear the Word to apply it to their lives. Sometimes it's an encouragement and a comfort, and other times it's a warning or a rebuke. But give your attendance to exhortation. It's a young preacher. He also needs to make sure, as he's doing with reading Paul's letter, to receiving exhortation. To receive encouragement, edification, and counsel. Proverbs 11, 14 says, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But the in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in a multitude of counselors, they are established. So the Bible here is telling us that to receive instruction, to receive counsel, that where there is no counsel, or where there is counsel, but it's ignored. So often I've seen people ignore counsel, and it's not just counsel from me, but counsel from other well-meaning Christians, and they ignore it, and they follow their youthful lust, and they pay the price for it every single time. Sometimes you think, you know, the Bible talks about how in, in the latter times, or that in the former times, God spoke in diverse manners by the prophets. But in the last days, we'll speak through his son. And now, we don't give a prophetic um, utterance. We're not proclaiming new revelation today. What I'm talking about today is not going to um, be rewritten and what Jason says becomes the word of God, except for what I've already preached as the word of God. Okay? Well, all my extra comments, okay, that's not going to be written. Uh, if someone does, they, you know, it'll have this. It's going to be idolatry if you call that the Word of God. But we preach the Word that's already been written. But so often, you could feel like a prophet if you're in the Word, and you're teaching the Word, you're giving the Word, you see someone else giving the Word, and someone does not take heed to the Word. 
You can predict what's going to happen in your life, most likely. And then it happens over and over and over again. When young people do not listen to counsel, it makes them struggle harder. It makes their life more miserable. Until they learn there's appropriate times to receive counsel. Now there could be times where there's just in the, someone is just an old grump and just always giving counsel. That could be bad counsel. That's where it's in your youth. You need to grow and have a discernment of, of being able to chew on. Is there some truth to this? Even if it's criticism, I've heard it one way. Treat praise and criticism the same way. Like chewing bubble gum. Chew on it a little bit and then spit it out. Okay, someone praises you. No, thank you. You know what? Praise the Lord. But don't get a big head. Don't think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Don't get proud. Don't get arrogant. But when you receive criticism as well, hey, think about it. Is there some truth to it? Is there maybe some merit to it? And then you, know, you consider the source of is this someone that always has a critical spirit? Well, you know what? Don't let that critical spirit get you down. Okay, you move on, you keep on growing in your walk with the Lord. Overall, when young people avoid Elderly people's counsel, or is there someone that's a little older? Could even sometimes be a friend the same age. When the counsel is ignored, they pay the price. It says, give attendance to doctrine. That's the systematic instruction from the Word of God. The teaching, doctrine means teaching. Titus 2 7, Paul tells another preacher, in all things shown thyself, a pattern of good works in doctrine show an uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Give attendance to doctrine. We live in a day, again, we're very like, who cares about doctrine? We're, uh, I've had people say, we're tearing down the walls of doctrine. Come join us. And I'm like, I can't. I need to build those walls of doctrine. We have, yes, we have unity, but our unity should be unity on the truth of God's Word. Not on tradition, okay? Not on Presbyterian tradition, not on Baptist tradition. On the Word of God. It says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbyter. says, You know what? God's given you a spiritual gift. Your call to the ministry was confirmed subjectively by means of you have the spiritual gift, and objectively it was a prophecy made about Timothy that he would have this gifting, and collectively by the affirmation of the leadership in the church, recognizing, yes, this man appears called of God. We see the gift is in him, and we see he's being an example. He's serving God, he's faithful to his family, he's faithful to loving and serving other people, and they laid hands on him and prayed unto him, and asked God, please impart this spiritual gift in greater ways. It could be a natural talent, but God, please use this spiritually for your kingdom's sake. Next month, uh, I've been, been asked for next month, to be a part of an ordination council for Andy Pope. Uh, I'm a young man um, in Arlington, and um, he's going to be uh, transitioning to um, taking the pastorate over at the church there. And we're supposed to take these kind of things seriously. Okay, we're going to go there, we're going to drill, we're going to ask questions, but really, it's about, you know, we've already seen their lives. They've already proven themselves. You know, ordination council, yes, is to say, hey, you know, let's ask questions, you know, like just make sure nothing slipped through the cracks. But basically, it's already, you've known the man, you've known the man's character, you've known his walk with God, and then you lay hands on them, you pray for them, you pray for God's blessing upon their family. So, be in prayer for me as we're there. Be in prayer for him. I don't even know what questions I'm going to ask. But um, be in prayer for him. Andy Pope. Says then, 
Take heed unto thyself. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Here's that word doctrine again. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So he tells them right here, take heed unto thyself. Yeah, yes, you're caring for the sheep, you're caring for the flock of God, but don't forget yourself. Take heed unto thyself. Book 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore let him that think of his standeth, take heed, lest he fall. We need to be careful in our walk with the Lord that we don't get proud, that we get prideful, and we just look down on others when they sin and they fall. Take heed to thyself. No eyes here of someone else falling. Sadly, there's some that will quote about it and go, Oh, I knew that was going to happen. No, there's fear and true so you look at someone that means they seem like such a man or woman of God. You see them fall and some kind of sin in a public manner. Like that could be me. Take heed. Take heed to thyself. Again, flee fornication. Flee youthful lust. Take heed to thyself. And unto the doctrine. Right Bible teaching. The priorities of a godly teacher, a godly leader, are sum up in his personal holiness and his public teaching. He tells Timothy in the next epistle, he writes in chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they reap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall return unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So the day's going to come. They don't want doctrine. They're not going to want you preaching the word. It says preach the word. Preach the word for a time will come. They won't endure sound doctrine, but preach the word. Continuing for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. That what you teach, what you preach, is a young preacher could hurt you, or it could save you. I'm not talking about salvation, so to speak, but it is saving what you speak. What you say can hurt or harm someone else if they apply what you're teaching and you're given bad counsel, it could affect their lives negatively. You give them right counsel, give them good Bible doctrine, it will affect them positively. In James chapter 3, we'll close with this verse. It says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Don't be many leaders. Don't be many teachers. Don't be many in authority. Yeah, God may put people in those positions, but don't let that be just a lust of the flesh. I want power. Oh, he says, for we shall receive the greater condemnation, the greater judgment. Will give a greater account. He says, For in many things we offend all. If a man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and they will also do bridle the whole body. That we can be careful with our words, we be careful with our tongue. The Bible says, He that will love life and see many days, good days, controls his tongue. Walks in the Spirit as the Spirit came this time. Our tongue, our words can offend, they can harm. Just spoke some is guarding your tongue. We're going to give an account. You know, the Bible talks about in a, um, a congregation about um, obeying the elders as they teach and preach the word of God. They say, Shepherd, for you, we'll go to we'll close with one more verse, okay? Hebrews chapter 13. 
Verse 17, chapter 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Okay, so now Paul elsewhere, earlier Timothy, tells, tells the Timothy to be careful. James says, be careful, don't be many masters, don't be many in seeking the leadership. But God's put you there, okay? You're watching for the, you're watching for their souls, and He tells the rest, "Fall, submit yourselves, that they for as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you." And you know when there's leadership, whether it's, it could be an employer, it could be um, a parent. You know, someone that's watching out for you, pastor, you know, you submit, you follow, they say, follow Christ. And you don't follow him into something immoral or unethical, but you follow him to say, follow Christ. When Paul says, follow me, it's like, follow Christ. He also said, who are we but men? You know what? Paul, Apollos, Peter, we are but just men. We water, we plant, but God gives the increase. But how we follow others that follow the Lord is do it so they don't do it with grief, but they can do it with joy. Let no man despise thy name, but be thou an example of the word of Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray for thee, help all of us, whether young or old, or in between, simply young at heart. Help us to be an example of the believers. Help us to honor you. Bible talks about the elder men and the elder woman. Teach the younger men and the younger woman. May they be an example to the young people. <laughs> May the young people be an example to the others. Love you, Lord. May your bride shine through and use this curse. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'll enable us to be a help to the missionary that we highlight this week. They're but servants of the Lord. But to us, they are heroes. People that gave up their homeland. Go serve you. Now you, you say it's a reasonable service, but we know it was also some sacrifice. And Lord, may you use our church to be a support to the missionaries. Say, um, you've enabled us, allowed us to support. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.